2: Everything they do shall prosper. Psalm 1, verse 3. What a promise, like having a green finger or the touch of Midas. There is a catch, but is it a catch or is it a sensible, safe way of living? When we obey the wisdom of God, then everything we do shall prosper. Does prosper mean just becoming rich overnight? It could. In the days of the Psalms, prospering meant having healthy flocks and herds, fertile feeds and gathering places trees planted by clear streams of water and many of god's followers prospered but i also think prosper, prosper could just as easily mean a calm life unhampered by family disagreements and fragile relationships in the world it could mean safe and whole families the way god decreed the correct balance of life lived with each other under god's wing in god's palm no arguments no jealousies no letdowns no war no strife only respect and understanding, tolerance and love. When we delight in God's law, we will bear fruit in due season. And our view of the world will change, so that everything we do will prosper. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Social Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this week is Cathy Cool, author of Homeschooling, Your Struggling Learner. We're going to be talking about teaching children with learning disabilities, My new chapter excerpt is about money, one of the three taboo subjects of conversation. I'll also be taking a closer look at CAPTA, the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, and of course, letting you in on the inside of the happenings in the Mcnenny household as we creep our way towards Palm Sunday and Holy Week. So find a comfortable chair, get yourself a cup of tea, and join me for an hour. And the wind still hasn't let up. It's driving me crazy, actually. My windows are intact, which I suppose is something to be joyful about. The pool, on the other hand, is full of dirt and leaves and blossom. And to add insult to injury, the pool pump is packed up, so we have no way of cleaning it right now. Our American Home Shield insurance company is supposed to be coming out to repair it for us, but we keep missing the call. You know how that goes. I came down with allergies and a head cold this week. You can probably hear me. It started as a tickle in my throat at Sunday's callbacks, just a slight irritation that turned into a pesky little cough by Tuesday. I diligently took my allergy tablets because with all the wind, allergy makers are swirling around in our back garden. Then my head started to ache and I began rounding a fever and just feeling achy and uncomfortable all day, but there's no putting me down. I have work to do and I won't give up after all. How much energy does it take to sit at a desk and hammer away at some computer keys? With more words with red underlinings began appearing on the page, I knew I had to stop. So I went outside to take advantage of the free sun rays and boosts of vitamin D. For an hour or so plus, I was able to grab a few moments of snoozy sleep. The best. Well, both the Garnasau musicals are cast, as I mentioned when chatting about my calls, On Sunday, we held callbacks and first auditions for a lot of professional dancers who were unable to attend the dance call the previous week. I'd say about 15 out of the 25 dancers who came were from one major company in town. And it was delightful to watch them learn the routine in about 30 minutes flat and then execute it flawlessly. The choreographer took one look at the finished product and announced that her priority dancer lists had changed from the previous week. And I don't wonder. Unfortunately, none of them were outstanding singers, so a backup chorus of pit singers are going to have to be employed. What are pit singers? Well, they're a group of well-voiced men and women who stand with the orchestra down in the pit and sing along to augment the singing that's going on during the performance on stage. With cats, there's a lot of dancing that goes along with the singing. And so regardless of the voice strengths on stage, the breath is not being used exclusively for singing. So the actors will take all the help they can get. And being a pit singer is also another way to participate. The time commitment isn't quite as rigorous, and let's face it, not all tremendous voices can move well enough for cats. Paris and I were sharing a pot of tea the other night and were reminiscing about our history of theatre. She recounted exactly where she was sitting at the table and the time of day when I asked her, Paris, do you want to be in a show? She said she was so excited she didn't even care that her part was a non-speaking role. We talked about the children's shows we performed during the year and how Ian was allowed to miss school, which meant, of course, they all missed school since their teacher was invariably the stage manager and had to be there. She also remembers picking up one of the cast members every morning. She felt so important to be a part of someone else's life, going up and knocking on their door, being the first cast member to see them each day. I've been sorting through my bookcases, too, and managed to fill lar- two, four sorry, large boxes of miscellaneous books from the dozen cases I have around the house. This clean-out, for me, is a very difficult task. I don't know about you, but books hold a lot of meaning. I really couldn't get rid of any of the children's books because they were read over and over again and bring back so many memories. But anyway, we took the books that I'd culled to half-price books and got the grand old sum of $40 for them. Not bad, I thought, for a collection of books I'd have happily given away. Then we found more books in the garage. A set of classics, 40 and all, that still had their cellophane wrappings on them. They'd been gathering dust for years, so my blue-eyed cowboy and I loaded them in my car and headed back to half-price books and left them at the counter. I wasn't expecting much was surprised when handsome hubby told me they'd offered him $100 for them. That'll go towards the British passports I'm in the process of getting for my children. On that money note, it's time for my book excerpt from the chapter entitled, Money, the False Idol. How apropos. I look at how my mother in particular viewed money and how she dealt with never having enough. Financial crises thrived in our house when we were growing up. Money was roundly declared to be the root of all evil. But I made my own mind up about money when I was quite young lack of it was the problem when we moved from a rather comfortable living in germany to a street in south london that boasted slums at the bottom of the road our parents went from gracious hosts to reluctant parasites not a good word what about reluctant dependence for the first 18 months of our new lives we were welcomed into the bosom of my mother's family We lived in a flat in the upper reaches of my uncle and aunt's house with their two boys, who were about my brothers and my age, four and six respectively. My cousins taught us how to play some serious rough and tumble games. They mocked us for our posh accents, laughed at our snobby manners, were fascinated by our clothes. Freshly ironed shorts or dresses, neatly folded ankle socks, well polished shoes, hats and gloves when appropriate. Despite this, we were loved and nurtured and enjoyed every minute of it. Each weekend, all the uncles who lived roundabouts helped my parents renovate the old house, soon to become our new home, which was in spitting distance of the sums at the end of the road. Our new old house, backed onto school playing fields belonging to the Catholic school I was to attend for five years. My father's job had taken a dive, and each month my parents would watch the letterbox on our front door to retrieve the bank statement from the doormat with its telltale red ink showing through the security window before we could see it we were too young to understand the significance of the red ink but somehow absorbed the fact that being in the red was a terrible stigma one my parents didn't want us to worry about we obediently looked the other way oblivious to our financial struggles i was a word monger and stigma stirred a pious curiosity in me I viewed the stigmata of Christ through the naive and romantic eyes of the young girl saints I'd read of and fantasized about becoming. Receiving the stigmata of Christ was a highly regarded gift and the only connection I could make between the conflicting definitions of these two words was that both of them were used to describe something red. Without anything being said, I found out that my mother's former stigma was having to ask my grandmother, Nana, to pay the mortgage again that month. It also meant my mother had to clean her mother's house twice a week in return for wheelie baskets full of groceries. It meant that my great-aunt, who visited for coffee once a week, would bring us fruit for the children's love, she'd say, as she handed over chocolate and pocket money as well with the healthy fare. It meant that we had to put the car on blocks and cover it with a tarp because we couldn't afford to keep it on the road. It meant that Nana had to pay for our annual holidays, which she always took with us. Most of all, it meant that the word money was never to be mentioned in our house. We always had enough food for our tummies and pristine hand-me-down clothes on our bags. But the tension of never having too much of anything showed itself in an odd way with my brother and me. We'd sneak spoonfuls of sugar, eat slices of the rationed bread, and take swigs of deliciously sweet sherry whenever we were left at home alone. If we ever complained to my mother of not having something, she retreated into herself and shooed us off to walk the dog to get us out of her way while she invented our magic. As resilient children, we learned to complain within my grandmother's earshot. She never shooed us off, and she never let us down. She bought a television one Christmas because our ancient junk shop purchase had upped and died. She bought me shoes I wanted instead of the ugly brown ones I needed to wear for school, and she sent over delicious... Homemade pies each week in the wheelie basket of food, pies that had to be eaten quickly because of the lack of preservatives. The most vivid memory I've had about money happened one afternoon. It must have been a drizzly London day because my mother sent me packing with a wheelie basket full of carefully folded, damp sheets. I was to go straight to the laundromat on the high street to dry the freshly washed linens. No dawdling, I was told. Once there, I was to change the ten shilling note, clasped tightly in my hand into coins with the lady who was in charge of the laundromat. Two of these shillings would be enough to dry the sheets, and I was to return home with the other eight, tucked safely in my glove, dragging the dry laundry behind me. I must have been about ten, quite mature enough to be entrusted with such a sum. I set off with the money stuffed in the pocket of my coat, along with tissues and other treasures collected during the year. A mistake. I'd let it out of the safe clasp of my hand. "'Somewhere along the way, the ten-shilling note vanished. "'I arrived at the laundromat, and all but stripped myself "'in search of the piece of paper that had so much value attached to it. "'I tearfully retraced my steps umpteen times to no avail, "'and finally I reluctantly gave up the search "'and returned home with the damp laundry in tow. "'I didn't know how I was going to tell my mother of the loss. "'I know that I must have been very brave to face her. "'I also knew that at ten, I didn't have a choice. "'One look at my face, and she knew the whole story. "'You'd think I'd lost a fortune.' I'm going on a break and I'll be back after these few messages.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to laugh along with this little parent stayed home with Ali Lopriet. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central, on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a 6-year-old recovering from autism, for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to our website, ShannonPinrod.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
2: Well, so there I was with a whole wheelie basket still full of damp laundry minus my 10 shilling note. And you would have thought that I'd lost a fortune, and to my mum, I probably had. Those sheets took days to dry on the lines we'd rigged across our bathroom ceiling for indoor airing. I lost all respect for money that day. In my heart, I vowed never to become its slave. My parents did eventually get themselves out of the red and into the black, but the damage had been done to both my mother and Mm. me. Well, I'm tempted to say that my guest this week is my cold. It's so with me this afternoon. But I'm thrilled to say that my guest, my real guest, is Kathy Call, author of Homeschooling Your Struggling Learner. In preparation for writing her book, Kathy not only homeschooled her son, who had attention problems, she also interviewed 64 homeschoolers with children who also had learning challenges. She graduated from William & Mary with teaching certificates in English and mathematics and gives workshops at homeschooling conventions and support groups. Good afternoon, Kathy. Kathy, sorry. Welcome to my show. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be with you. Sorry, I nearly called you Kathleen. That's my mother's name. (laughs) So is that your name or Catherine? I'm a Catherine. You're a Catherine. Well, welcome, Catherine. Kathy, sorry, I have a cold. That's quite Um, all right. (laughs) um, Okay, first off, I want you to tell me a little bit about um, yourself and your family and um, how you came to um, be a homeschooling mom.
1: Well, I had no intention of homeschooling originally. It was hard enough getting my son out the door in the mornings and off to our very fine public school just up the road. I had good relationships with the staff, and it was a fine school, but my son was falling through the cracks there because of his attention difficulties and very significant learning disabilities. He's, dyslexic and has other challenges he was coming home each day completely exasperated he was convinced he was stupid I'd ask him to pick up his backpack and he'd explode Uh, the school was doing what they could but you know what classroom sizes are like now and Mm. budgets and all they had limited resources limited time and we decided that if we continued to have him in school he would just deteriorate and wouldn't be able to develop his gifts so we reluctantly started in fourth grade and ended up homeschooling him clear through 12th grade
2: well that sounds wonderful and
1: um did you what
2: there were attention problems that he had so what in particular were you able to do apart from one-on-one teaching of course i mean what what um, resources did you use were available to you at that time
1: well, one of the great advantages of homeschooling um, a child with attention um, problems is the ability to adapt the environment. My first year homeschooling, we homeschooled in the kitchen. I looked out the window and saw trees and thought, great, no distractions, just the woods. Yeah. He looked out the window and saw squirrels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. We moved to the dining room and pulled sheer curtains across so he couldn't be distracted by that view in the classroom he was continually distracted by classmates I have taught my first year public school I was in a classroom that was wallpapered with posters of France and um, French rap, star- rap stars I was sharing a classroom with a French teacher and I know how visually distracting a room can be I've I've also known uh, students who found it distracting to have the noise, whether the fluorescent bulbs buzzing or the kids two rows over, can be distracting. There's all sorts of distractions that can be eliminated by homeschooling. In addition, oh, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. In addition, you can incorporate a lot of movement and exercise to burn up some of that extra energy. You can um, involve lots of motion, not only exercise to burn up energy, but also to facilitate understanding one doctor i know who has attention deficit disorder says he can't sit still and learn it's just too much effort to sit still there's no Mm -hmm. energy left to learn
0: Mm -hmm. Well,
2: um, I know a lot of teachers, especially um, lower-end, you know, kindergarten, first and second grade teachers, and they spend hours at the beginning of each um, semester decorating their room and getting it ready for the kids and making it attractive and making it, you know, busy. And I can imagine what that must do to a child that's kind of constantly, you know, sort of turned on by stuff that's around the classroom. So.
1: It's important if you've got a distractible child to know what's hard for them. For some mm-hmm. kids, that visual business in my son, it is distracting. For other children, that's not a problem, but noise is. Mm-hmm. For another, it might be smells or um, other things bothering them.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. So um, do you have two
1: children? Yes, that's right. Uh, did you homeschool both of them? No, my son's uh, needs were extremely challenging, and my daughter was in a gifted program at a school that seemed to be working well for her.
2: Okay, so you had, you know, feet in both courts there. How did that work?
1: That worked fairly well. My daughter, first of all, is older, and she was very supportive. She was pretty concerned about her little brother having so much trouble learning to read. And um, do all sorts of things. He was having trouble learning to count. He couldn't really count past about thirty-five for quite a while. Um, so she was supportive of that. I think um, having had a child in a foot in each camp, as you put it, um, enables me to reach out to more families. Some people have kids in school where it's not working. They're frustrated, and they it helps them to hear from someone who understands both sides of the situation.
2: So what about medication? Was your son ever um, prescribed medication, and did you ever use it?
1: We were extremely reluctant to look at medication. I talked with his pediatrician about his challenges. Um, She looked it over, and she said, well, you know, attention deficit disorder is um, overdiagnosed and I think it's over-medicated, and she said, let's wait on this, and that was fine with all of us. Um, After a couple years of homeschooling, we went to another neuropsychologist for a private complete evaluation, and he looked at the situation and told us that my son had finally gotten a 99 on a test, but it was a test of distractibility. Mm. He'd also gotten Mm -hmm. a 99 on... Um, some uh, things showing his excellent memory but um, this the neuropsychologist urged us to try medication and we did we eventually found an appropriate dosage and saw that it was extremely helpful to my son, his handwriting for one thing improved dramatically and he became better able to organize many things
2: well, my son actually was diagnosed at the age of, like, five um, with ADD. And when we took him to um, his doctor, the doctor was very, he said, now we need to be really careful not to um, confuse the behavior of a, a normal, healthy five-year-old yeah. and, you know, the ADD. And so um, when once we found the right medication um, for our son, I found that he... it it was good for him and he calmed down a lot but he almost became not a zombie but very different very different you know sort of like muffled almost but he was able to he was able to pay attention and his doctor said it's frustrating it's as frustrating for the child as it is for the parent or the adult watching the child because when they get older they realize I should be able to sit down I should be able to do this I can't remember where my shoes are I can't remember the next thing I'm supposed to be doing you know
1: absolutely I've talked with a couple folks from my book who have not wanted their children to be on medication who have had bad experiences with it and it's my understanding that if your child is acting like a zombie on medication you've, either, you've got the wrong medication and maybe you've got the wrong psychologist, psychiatrist dealing with the situation because mm-hmm. you want someone who if you're, of course we're always reluctant to have anyone go on any medication but um If you're looking at a situation where a child is feeling uncomfortable, feeling odd, um, acting like a zombie, then it's either the wrong dose or too much, Mm -hmm. the wrong dose or the wrong medication. There are many different things you can try, and a lot of them have been used for decades.
2: Well, and some some of these children are really young that are diagnosed, and how you know it's difficult to say to a child, well, how do you feel? How is this making you feel differently? And you know, they might be behaving differently. That they, they might go, well, I'm I feel okay. I feel fine. You know, so. That's a, that's a difficult line to
1: um, sort of judge. That's another reason to work with a psychiatrist mm-hmm. who has done a lot of work with children. I have a couple friends I know who've said that they've talked with their pediatrician and the doctor looked at the child and said, yeah, looks like ADD, let's you want to try Ritalin. And that's such a sloppy way to operate. You wouldn't look at a child that sore throat and say, yeah, looks like strep, have some amoxicillin. Mm -hmm. you'd want to do a test you'd want to have someone who knew what they were doing and you'd want to proceed very carefully Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree well my son in later years decided to stop taking his medication but now he's thinking you know what maybe I might be able to function a little bit better with it so I think he might be um, going back and trying it again so you know it I suppose it's just kind of some children never grow well do you do you probably know better do children grow out of um this attention i mean do they eventually mature out of it or
1: no not always no uh, it seems like a, some people do seem to learn to cope um mm-hmm. learn to strategize and i think a few do outgrow it but many do not that's been a pervasive myth it's really been harmful for teens and young adults because they already feel a little conspicuous taking medication mm-hmm. that everyone else doesn't have to. And then when mm-hmm. you add to that this notion that, well, I really ought to have outgrown this, mm-hmm. it's difficult. Some ch- mm-hmm. folks don't even get diagnosed with attention deficit disorder until high school or college, or sometimes not even till their child is diagnosed.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the acronyms that are being you know, sort of batted around. You've got the ADD, which is attention <laughs> deficit disorder, obviously. Then you've got ADHD, the H gets thrown in. What does that mean?
1: Well, I joke around that they have, um, they change the uh, names every five years for attention deficit disorder. Maybe it's every 10. Mm-hmm. The um, American Psychiatric Association sets the terms um, in this country, and currently the name is AD. Slash HD, attention deficit disorder with or without hyperactivity. Oh, okay. So, and, and they'll probably change it again when the next manual version of the diagnostic and statistical manual comes out next year. <laughs>
2: so, um, and what about LDA? What does that mean?
1: Learning disability, well, learning disabilities are pretty broad. LDA would be the Learning Disabilities Association of America. Okay, okay so it's an association. Um, right. But learning disabilities is another term that can be used a couple different ways. First, it can be used very broadly to include an attention problem, a problem with um, reading, writing, mathematics. uh, An autism spectrum disorder could be considered a learning disability. So if you go, for instance, to the Learning Disability Association conferences, you'll find topics on all of those things. By the way, their website, ldaamerica.org, has got helpful information.
2: Right, for those hang on a minute kathy i have to go on a break okay um for those of you just joining us i'm talking to kathy Cole, who helps families homeschool children with um learning disabilities and we've been talking about the different kinds of learning disabilities they are and some of the associations that you can um seek for um help and so come back and um, we'll continue talking after these few messages
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their path. And successes, first for Debbie, fairytale Inc. com. And for Diana, the next big Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Clickman and Deanna Cohen on Toginet.com. Coming live from Seattle, Washington, home of the biggest and best internet companies on the World Wide Web. It's SEO Radio, starring Brandon Knott. Tuesday nights at 10 Central, 8 p.m. Pacific on TogiNet.com. SEO Radio. This pioneering internet and social media entrepreneur will share some of his most super efficient opportunities with you, small business owners, and future entrepreneurs to help you build a future like Amazon or Expedia Online. There's never been a marketing strategy that's been so effective at allowing small businesses to compete with the big boys. And Brandon now helps you learn these easy as one, two, three s-e-o for more on brandon check out his website seattleorganicseo.com s-e-o radio It's at for seo radio starring brandon nai tuesday nights at 10 central 8 p.m pacific on togynet.com welcome back to the sociable homeschooler with vivian mcninney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
2: Um, Kathy, give, me, give us that website again for the Learning Disabilities. It Was Learning Disabilities, what, what
1: was it? Learning Disabilities Association is ldaamerica.org. Another great resource on learning disabilities is ldonline.org. That's a resource with hundreds of articles on all kinds of learning disabilities. Other times when people talk about learning disabilities, they mean specific language-based learning disabilities, what we used to call dyslexia Mm -hmm. or dysgraphia, the handwriting. Mm -hmm. More recently, people sometimes include um, problems in um, mathematics, which can be uh, dyscalculia, but there's other things that can be as well. Oh,
2: so we've got dyscalculia as well. So dyslexia doesn't cover all of that, or it can.
1: No, in fact, um, the uh, experts have kind of moved away from even using that term because dyslexia just means a problem with reading, and that's a little vague. Reading uses all different parts of the brain because it involves hearing the sounds or remembering Mm -hmm. the sounds you hear and linking them to symbols, putting those symbols together in a sequence, remembering the last part of the sentence when you... Uh, first part of the sentence when you've still gotten to the end so it uses a lot of your brain it's amazing that so many of us learn to read it so easily
2: um, I'm going to ask you um, why do you think some parents are afraid um, to homeschool their children with learning disabilities say they've been diagnosed with learning disability while they're at school and they go well I, couldn't, I was going to homeschool but now I've decided not to do that why, why do you think there's that hesitation
1: Well, for many of us, reading was pretty easy. We just remember watching a mother or father's finger move across the page and the words started to make sense. So the thought that that needs to be broken down into bits and that that needs to be taught systematically can be really daunting. Mm -hmm. There's lots of good resources, though. Um, I think another reason parents are concerned about that is the reason a lot of parents are concerned about any kind of homeschooling is the responsibility. Mm -hmm. I say to people, you know, if it doesn't weigh weigh on you a little bit, then you're probably not ready. It's like learning to drive a car. If you're not a little scared, then (laughs) you shouldn't be behind the wheel.
2: That's right. Um, And, you know, people always have this thing that, well, schools, they can bring in professional help to help this child. And it, it almost insinuates that if you homeschool, you don't have access to any professional help. But you do, don't you?
1: Oh, yes, and it's gotten to be, as homeschooling has become more accepted, it's certainly easier to do that. In fact, one of the things I do is I speak at conferences like uh, the, of the professional organizations, CHAD, Children and Adults with Attention Deficit, Learning Disabilities Association, the Autism Society. As part of my work is letting people know that homeschooling, is out there a lot of the people that are working in as education professionals, psychologists, um, testers, just don't know anyone that's homeschooling and imagine that we all do it by I don't know plucking our kids in front of Sesame Street. I'm not sure what they think we're doing. Mm. Um, and so I try to educate people that aren't in the homeschooling community so that folks become more open to it.
2: Mm. Um, so you said you answered one of my one of the acronyms, CHAD. I wondered what that was. So that's children and adults
1: with attention with, deficit disorder.
2: Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Um so you you say that some some people don't know until they're adults or until their children are diagnosed with ADD. Did you find that either you or your husband had ADD when your when your son was diagnosed?
1: I haven't got had myself diagnosed. I know that my son did not get his distractibility from his father. <laughs> it's possible <laughs> that it's from me. Um, I know I'm somewhat distractible. I cope pretty well. I have a um a good memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, um that helps me st- and i 've strategized quite a bit a lot of the things that helped me compensate you know walking upstairs and saying to myself, "Belt shoes, jacket, as I go up to remember the three things i 'm supposed to get. those kinds yeah. of strategies help anybody um, they do. in in my as far as the dyslexia, uh, the learning disabilities. Um, My husband and I don't have it, but my mother and my husband's sister are dyslexic. So we certainly see that running in the family.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I know years ago when it wasn't such a um, something that was kind of brought up in the schools and young children weren't diagnosed as rapidly with or as easily with um, ADD and other disorders like this. I suppose children grew up and adults as well that were dealing with them to modify and
1: to adapt. Well, some people were just waiting for the day that they could graduate from school, which they hated and went off and become successful businessmen. uh, Uh There's a lot of um, folks, Charles Schwab, um, Kinko, founder of the photocopying company, the fellow that started JetBlue, they're all dyslexic. Um, So people sometimes figure out ways to compensate. They hire people to compensate. (laughs) There's lots of things you can do to work around these challenges.
2: And so if there wasn't any medication out there to help these children i mean is it are there cases where it could be really dangerous or ruin your life or whatever apart from wanting to leave school or not not doing well in school um I'm sorry
1: the uh, would it be dangerous to yeah help are there situations where me? it
2: really would not not i don't want to say life threatening i'm just I'm mm-hmm. just thinking you know how important is the medication um for, for a child that's been diagnosed with um, ADD or ADHD?
1: Um, I don't think it would be. <laughs> Very no. rarely are things like that life-threatening. I think if you had a child that was extremely impulsive and was a teenager um, and putting themselves in harm's way frequently, then it might be good to consider it. But, again, we're just talking about attention deficit challenges here and on mm-hmm. the other kinds of learning disabilities. So I think in any case when you're concerned about a child or a teen's behavior, um, it's good to be talking with your pastor, talking with your doctor, looking for someone who's a good counselor and seeing what kind of helps you can get. Mm, mm,
2: mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, the, the quick fix today tends to be, you know, medication. Oh, and I think there are other, other ways, but it oh. just it, yeah. It, it involves parents and friends and family, you know, so there's, there's a lot more involvement going on. And like you said with the homeschool, you know, sometimes the parents don't want that added responsibility, you know, that, that goes with that. So when you're out there talking to these adults and families about the children, maybe they're homeschooling or, or that they know who have got these um, learning challenges, do you get to talk to the children as well?
1: Not generally. No, I have occasionally worked one-on-one with families, and I, you see, I actually I do um, telephone consultations chiefly with the parents, and sometimes I meet with the parent and the child and do um, things with them locally or uh, by Skype. But I don't speak to children as a large group. I think I prefer to talk with the parents and talk with them about how to talk to their kids because I'm, you know, I'd just be a stranger coming in saying things.
2: And so when you decided to write your book, um, had your child gone?
1: Did your child, did he go to college? Uh, he is part-time now, and he's working part-time. Yes. Yeah.
2: So, but you waited until you'd finished homeschooling him before you wrote the book, or did you... Th-
1: was that in the works? No, I waited till he was graduated. I had no time to do it until. Okay. And I'm, in fact, I'm impressed with anyone who homeschools and writes books or um, does radio shows as you're doing at the same time. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Well,
2: tell me um, then how you wrote your book. Um, I, I, our listeners don't know the, the process that you um, went through to write your book.
1: Certainly. Um, I had people asking me questions uh, even before I finished homeschooling about how to get started, how did I do it, what resources, those sorts of things. And I began to wish that there had been some sort of handbook to help me get started. Uh, looking back at what I'd learned over those years of homeschooling, I began to think about writing a book. But every child's different, especially children with learning challenges, and I saw that if I just wrote what helped us, that would only help people that were exactly like my son and me, not Mm -hmm. too helpful. So I interviewed um, 64 families across uh, North America who were homeschooling children who'd been diagnosed with one kind of learning disability or another. And I pulled that together to um, write a handbook called Homeschooling Your Struggling Learner, um, which is available on my website, learndifferently.com and on Amazon. And in that, I go from deciding whether or not I should take this child out of school or whether or not I should put this child in school if I'm homeschooling and just coming to realize there's a learning challenge. That can be pretty scary. Clear through how I set goals, how I work with professionals, how I adapt curriculum and shop for curriculum, how I deal with the core subjects and study skills, and clear up to the transition to work and college.
2: So you say that you interviewed 64 families. How did you do that?
1: Oh, that was fun. That was the best part of the book. Um, I posted on a variety of um, Yahoo lists and other listservs around the country that I was looking for parents uh, with kids, like I've described, who would be willing to be interviewed. And they emailed me, and I've set up um, telephone interviews. So I interviewed people anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes long distance. Hmm. Over a uh, course of about a year.
2: And you asked them, you had a, a template maybe of questions that you were going to ask?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. I worked through questions with them, and those questions evolved a little as they went along. I heard some fascinating stories. In fact, I've just started work on my next book. I'm going to go back to some of those families, and maybe a few of your listeners, maybe a few others. Mm-hmm. And the second book will be stories um, where each chapter will be the story of a different family facing a different challenge. I try and encourage people with these, insi- these families' insights and resources, the struggles they've dealt with, and how they've overcome them.
2: That sounds absolutely wonderful, because I, I always know that when um, I look back on something, just the simple thing like having a first baby, and I know there are lots of handbooks out there, but there, there really aren't that many handbooks for, for those certain things like you're talking about. And You know, what do I do? How do I how, how do I deal with this? I'm, I'm homeschooling my child, and I realize they have dyslexia. What do I do? Do I put them back in school? All that kind of stuff. So it sounds as though you've addressed all of that in this wonderful handbook. Do you still call it a handbook, or did it... Flourish into a full fledged book. <laughs> it's
1: it's a it's a four hundred and two page book. Well, it's called sounds like a full fledged book. To me. <laughs> <laughs> it's called homeschooling your struggling learner. And um,
2: we can go to um, homeschooling your struggling learner. We actually, I just Google everything, and you can just type in homeschooling your struggling learner. And right or
0: re-
1: yes, or you can go straight to my website, learndifferently.com dot Okay. I also, um, every month or so, I, interview, I review a book that I think would interest families for, who have children with challenges, and I post those reviews in my newsletter and on my website. So that's a, another resource for parents. And I mentioned I get consultations. At your, some of your listeners might know someone who'd be interested in contacting me. I give three initial 20-minute telephone conversations. Lots of people helped me, and I, this is my way of trying to pay that back.
2: Well, Kathy, I, we've come to the end of our time this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've been talking to Kathy Cool, who's been quoted in articles on homeschooling in Attitude magazine and Chad's Attention magazine. And she works to link families with resources in, in special needs and homeschooling communities. So go to her website, learndifferently.com, read a sample chapter of her book, Homeschooling and Struggling Learner, and buy a copy while you're there. Thank you, Kathy, for joining me this afternoon. Have a wonderful and
0: safe weekend thank you so much you're welcome bye how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling that's what we're working on now it's vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler and we'll be right back after these For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward. With tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned, these pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward. With Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Cease and Me is on Toginet, a delightful, thoughtful, serious, and not-so-serious call-in show with Cecil Murphy and Twyla Belk, Tuesday nights at 8, 7 Central, on Togginet.com. You know Cease is the veteran author from 90 Minutes in Heaven, Gifted Hands. When a man you loved was abused, and many other books, as well as a mentor for writers, and Twila Belk is an effervescent force known as the "Gotta Tell Somebody" gal. She's also a writer and motivational speaker who's always bragging on God. For more on Cecil Murphy, go to his website Cecil Murphy that's P H E Y dot com, and for Twila, Gotta Tell Somebody dot com. The show and Me is a far-reaching faith-based shared conversation and call-in show with questions welcome. A chance to get everything out in the open, from questions about writing to surviving sexual abuse to the topics of the day, all from a Christian worldview to help you. Season me, Cecil Murphy, Twyla Belk, Tuesday evenings today, 7 Central on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
2: As I announced last week, April is Child Abuse Awareness and Prevention Month. And I had Dean Tong, an advocate and expert witness in cases dealing with false accusations of child abuse, come and talk to me on my show. Dean, in his wisdom, reminded us that child protective services see themselves as in loco parentis, better known as the state is the parent. CPS prefers school-aged children to be in schools where teachers are mandated to report any signs of child abuse and function as the agency's all-seeing eyes. Is it surprising that CPS views homeschoolers as secret keepers, whom they cannot keep a vigilant watch over? Dean said that many parents take the view, it can't happen to me when it comes to social workers knocking uninvited on our doors. He warns us that no one can protect themselves from CPS appearing on our doorsteps out of the blue and demanding entry. The Homeschool Legal Defence Association reports that they receive an average of one call a day from a homeschool parent who's facing a social worker at his or her door. Over 90% of the tips social workers receive are anonymous. Nonetheless, social workers still try to enter the house and interrogate the children privately. According to HSLDA, the Federal Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, CAPTA, enacted 20 years ago, has wreaked havoc on the 50 states' child welfare codes. CAPTA forces states that want to receive federal funding for their child welfare programs to report, investigate and pursue all suspected child child abuse tips, States have responded by aggressively pursuing all anonymous tips, which also happen to be the main source of tips against innocent homeschooling families. The threat is real. Dean advises us to remain cool, calm and collected, as well as retain a lawyer before talking to anyone in regards to an allegation. Those of you who belong to HSLDA will already have information on what to do if a social worker or the police come and knock in and want to gain entry. HSLDA is our advocate. They've been working on CAPTA for a decade with homeschoolers' best interests at heart and have successfully included two key amendments which will help to increase protections for any family facing a child child abuse investigation. The first requires that every state must adopt provisions and procedures whereby the representative of CPS advises the individual being accused of abuse of the complaints or allegations made against them at the first time of contact. Unfortunately, social workers throughout the country often refuse to reveal the allegations against the homeschooling family. The second requires that all 50 states adopt provisions addressing the training of representatives of the child protective service system regarding their legal duties in order to protect the legal rights of children and families from the initial time of contact during the investigations throughout the treatment. This means that social workers will have to be trained and follow Fourth Amendment limitations and protections which guarantees the right against unreasonable search and seizure. HSLDA has reports of innocent families being aggressively investigated on allegations of child abuse and neglect, only to have such cases later determined to be unsubstantiated or false. The late Mr. Clicker of HSLDA stated, in the old days, social workers tried to prove a reported family was innocent and considered the family innocent until proven guilty. Now the system operates on the principle that the family is guilty. Most social workers believe they have more authority than a law enforcement officer to enter a family's home to interview the child and inspect the premises. They're now being trained to understand that they do not have the authority to demand entry into the family home when investigating the allegation. While Dean fully agrees that there need to be laws in place to protect our children, he also thinks parents need to be allowed to be parents. In an article he wrote about this topic, he cited a case in England where a father from Kent was told to stop taking photos of his four-year-old son in the play area of a shopping centre. The security guard thought he may be a pedophile. The father rightly protested that he had every right to photograph his own son, and he finally received an apology from the security guard. Mr. Tong asks, when are kids going to be allowed to be kids? When are parents going to be allowed to be parents? Now, before we scare ourselves to death, it's important to know that there is help out there. Joining HSLDA and reading their monthly magazine will allay many fears for the rookie and potential homeschooler. There are also supporters and professionals like Dean Tong on hand to help. A good starting point would be his helpful website, www.abuse-excuse.com, and of course, go to hslda.org. Well, I've been trained as a subdeacon at my church. All this really means is that I'm second reader at the late service, and also say the prayers of the people, which is nothing more than I've been doing for years as plain old second reader at the early service. The major differences are the title, the fact that I'm at the altar with the priest the whole time he is there, I point to the book so that he doesn't lose his page and risk looking silly, and mainly I get to wear the clothes, the vestments, the alb, cincture and dormatic, which means there are colours, not just plain black and white. I suppose I'll get to sweat too because those vestments are pretty heavy. My debut as subdeacon is this coming Sunday, Palm Sunday. (coughs) Excuse me. And it will be a long service which none of my family will opt to attend. Oh well. They'll see me next Saturday at the vigil. (coughs) Excuse me. Paris was suspended from her work at the daycare for three days this week. She's bothered about it, but isn't letting it get her down. She went off to SeaWorld in San Antonio with some teacher friends for a mini holiday. Funny how some of our children think. Oops, not able to work for the rest of the week? Well, let's go celebrate with the money I won't be making. What happened was this. There are ratios at the school she's at. This means the number of children to adults has to be correct according to state law. She and her colleague had 18 children between them and they were outside taking advantage of these balmy spring days we're having albeit windy. Two of the munchkins decided they wanted to go inside to pee. And they couldn't risk, the the adults couldn't risk telling them to wait 10 minutes when everyone was going to go inside anyway. So the second teacher had to take not only the two squirming children, but also five others so that my daughter, Paris, would be in ratio with the ones left outside in her care. They were gone for about 20 minutes. And when they returned, it was time to go inside. And Paris was just lining them up for a head counter to check off their paperwork. when the manager came out and called, name check. One of the little girls was found to be missing. She had inadvertently been left inside when she'd had to go in for the unscheduled bathroom break. The result? Paris's colleague was released and Paris was suspended. Wow, I suppose we can't be too careful when dealing with someone else's child. The corporate office had to be notified immediately along with the child's parents. Well, it's good to know that safety checks are actually being enacted and adhered to in these daycare centres but it doesn't um, it doesn't bode well it does it's okay Paris is okay she won't lose her job but she's already got a warning Simon My zookeeper son is looking for a new car. Ever since he bought his second car, a Ford Focus, to take to college with him, he's complained that it doesn't get the mileage it's supposed to get, so now's his chance, except he's finding that he'll hardly get anything for his new car, so taking out a car loan is a real variable in his purchasing equation. This is causing tension between all of us. One, he's stubborn like his parents, he points out, and two... He has high expectations of the kind of car he wants to be seen in. I don't know if I've convinced him to buy a car in his price range and not incur debt. My reasoning is that he'll be able to save back the money by the time he's ready to sell again. But I do see signs he's thinking along that pathway. He is having serious discussions with friends who drive old bangers given to them by family members when they're on the verge of the junkyard. I've also suggested... That he rises above his image. For goodness sake, what does he need a macho car for? All he has to do is step out of any vehicle a macho exudes. He's tall, blonde, and handsome. He doesn't need a fancy accessory to boost his ego. And no, he doesn't suffer from low self-esteem. He thinks he's pretty great himself. As a parent, though, we all know it's almost impossible to instill wisdom into our children. They look at us and say, you don't know the whole story, or you don't know what I want. Evidently, we don't know very much, but we were young once, weren't we? While I agree that children who have their own earning abilities should be able to make their own purchasing choices, I also think they should shirk the commercialism and stop worrying about what other people are going to think and worry about the reality of what their buying power is capable of. But they have to learn by their own mistakes. Perhaps listening to their parents may help, even though we may think it's a lost cause most of the time. There's a word of encouragement here. I've heard countless times over the years of raising know-it-all teens, this comment, Mom, my friend says exactly what you've been saying. Hello, is this a surprise? Maybe their friend's parents, my friends, are on the same page as we are. And on the subject of motorized vehicles, Malia uses her father's, the blue-eyed cowboys, Lincoln Continental, a boat of a car for such a little thing to drive around in. Not exactly an image-enhancing accessory, but it serves its purpose. None of the windows work properly, so when she winds them down, they're crooked, and she looks like a real sketch fest cruising along. Simon should take some pointers from her. She has a free car and she isn't complaining. Anyway, twice in the past two days, she's been given a parking ticket at the college where her boyfriend goes. Both times they were within minutes of her arrival in the permit-only spot. And each ticket was $30 a piece. She eventually managed to talk to the campus police and was told that she couldn't appeal in person. She had to go and appeal online. And her appeal, unfortunately, was denied. So without her job she now owes sixty dollars in parking fees but you know when the little parking space says permit only we all know what that means and next week is holy week and um there's a lot of stuff going on during that week for us up at our church there's of course the spring cleaning there's flowers to be bought um I don't know washing I've got to wash cassocks and surplices, and I go to church almost every night and um, there's big stuff going on so my show next week on Good Friday is going to be a very very special show and um, a friend and I are going to be um, getting together to do that show and we hope that through our choices that we'll be able to fill you with a good sense of the solemn and of course some of my McNinney charm will creep in and we'll talk about other rituals we like to enjoy af- as a family. Family at the special time of the year. So I've managed to go on for another whole hour and it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week. Um, I'm going to stations tonight and tomorrow Malia and I are going to watch Colin College's dance show. On Sunday we're down to Tyler to visit the folks at Toginet Radio and my mother-in-law. So I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Togginet Radio, my guest Kathy Kuhl, and you my faithful listeners especially Hannah, Tina and Rosemary. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give
0: you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Tokyo.